Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Now, one of the things I've I've realized is, and I know it sounds silly to say that I've realized it, but the fall is a hugely significant event for for all of mankind. Because in in this fall, we we lose intimate connection with the Father. And humanity's history is, is forever changed. And we see that the, the fellowship and intimacy that we see in the garden before they eat from the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil is it's lost. But it's still Father's intention to bring his children back into that place of intimacy. And that picture we see in Genesis is, is how it's always intended to be. For all of humanity, not just for Adam and his wife. And I guess what we're experiencing in these days is that he is gradually restoring that way of life to us. The the life that he originally intended for us. And I I believe it's only possible to come into that if we once again regain that intimate connection. And start to live again in that place of being loved. One of the things that I've been questioning about... um, I guess evangelical Christianity is have we become so focused on individuality you know it's about individual salvation individual healing individual that we forget something of the community aspect of that and there's a lot in that but but I want to focus on one aspect of relationship that was lost and damaged in the fall and we're still walking out in that damaged place today and so Adam and his wife are in the garden and Genesis introduces this concept of the serpent the the word is nahas which means one who hisses or whispers a magic spell or or an enchantment It, it can also be a shining one who entrances and so he he tempts the woman and when in Genesis 3 verse 6 we read that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so he hisses his enchantment, his lies at the woman, and she's taken in by his deceitfulness, and she eats from the tree and gives to her husband and immediately what happens is you know they'd been living out of this place of intimacy of the heart the eyes of their heart were awake and and seen from that perspective but those eyes begin to dim and the eyes of their mind begin to open and they the whole of life becomes a judgement between what's good what's bad what's right what's wrong what's evil what's holy And, and this is all beginning to happen inside them. That's what it means when it says their eyes were opened. And God comes looking for them and, and then there's this coming together where he said, you know, what have you done? The man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. And it's, as I look at human history, it seems that throughout history, the woman is the one whom all the blame is focused on. You know, the man was specifically told by God, don't eat this fruit, because if you do, you will die. 
Now, we don't read that he told the woman that. I, I don't know. Did the man just pass that on to the woman and say, well, by the way, God said, don't eat that. Don't touch it either even. Don't even look at it. <laughs> you know, he's adding all these other commands on. And so he knew that when the serpent was saying to the woman, did God really say? You know, but look at how beautiful it is. It makes you wise. And why didn't Adam step in and say, hey, wait a minute. God did say, I was there. He told me. You know, wife, don't listen to him. He's a liar. But he didn't do that. And yet, when it comes to owning up, he doesn't take responsibility. He blames the woman. That you put here, God. You know, she's deceived by this trap that, that catches her, that preys upon her pure desire to be like her father. But the man deliberately disobeyed a, a direct command. C.S. Lewis says that when, that when the man said, the woman you put here gave it to me, he says, a sword fell between the sexes. And then what we read in the rest of Genesis chapter 3, well, through 14 through 16, he begins to tell them what death looks like. What we, what we see described in Genesis 3 is God saying, it was not like this before. But because of what you've done, this is now what it will look like. But he starts off with cursing the serpent. And he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Then he goes on to describe what death looks like. He says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Some versions say your desire will be to control your husband and he will dominate you. And so we read this and, and, and a lot of people use this scripture to argue for male dominance, for masculine authority. Because what they're saying is God's cursing the woman, he's blaming her. And he's saying... Now I've decided that the man will rule over you because you can't be trusted. You need to be controlled. But he wasn't saying that. He was saying, this is now what death looks like. I warned you, if you ate this fruit, you would die. This is what it's going to look like. Thorns and thistles, pain and childbirth, and conflict between man and woman, husband and wife. But he did utter a curse, and it was... Satan, he said to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Basically, he threatened the devil with femininity. You see, Satan knows that if he's going to be overcome, it's not going to be through masculine strength, broken domination and aggression of, of masculinity. It's going to be through more feminine qualities like gentleness, kindness, sensitivity, love, patience, all, you know, all of those things, the fruit of the Spirit. But we, we have this big thing where we fight the devil, we attack the devil, we shout at him and we pull down strongholds and all the rest of it. And yet Paul said, we don't fight like this world fights. Our weapons are not the weapons of this world. They're not aggression and violence. They're gentleness, they're patience, they're kindness, they're goodness. Their love. Those are the divine weapons that we've been given. What we see throughout the centuries is that theologians have blamed the women. 
Paul says that sin came through the man. And what we, ha- what we had in the garden was, you know, God makes the man, but he realises the fullness of my image can't be seen in this one being. And so he creates women. And you have this, the fullness of the image of God spread across two genders. The strong femininity of God displayed in the woman and the strong masculinity of God displayed in the man. And so we have two personalities, but one expression of God. And God creates the woman. He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I shall make him a helper. That is not a good translation. There's a terrible misrepresentation of what the Lord intended the woman to be. You know, helper seems like it's weak. It's a servant. It's, you know, you do what you're told. Get my slippers, make my dinner. Pour me a beer. (laughs) You know, entertain me in the bedroom. But the Hebrew uses two different words in two different passages for this helper. The first word is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And the other word is kenegdo, K-E-N-E-G-D-O. And this word ezer is used 21 times in the Old Testament. It's used once of the woman in Genesis three and uh, Genesis two. In other twenty instances, it speaks of God, and it speaks of God in a situation where you need Him to rescue you or you will die. So, in, in Deuteronomy thirty-three and verse twenty-six, we read, "There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides on the heavens to help you, to azer you, and on the clouds in His majesty." In Psalm one hundred twenty-one. You know, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my azer come from? Where is my rescue coming from? My rescue comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And as you look at the origins of that language, I won't bore you with it all, but possibly a better translation of the word azer is lifesaver, a life rescuer. And connecto is just a word that means to be alongside, to be a counterpart. Equal but different. You know, so you might be Man United's manager and I'm, I'm definitely Man City's manager. You know, it's like <laughs> but we're counterparts because we're, 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 we're equal in status. And so what he's saying to the man is, I'm going to give you one who's different to you, who's opposite to you, but she's your equal. And that's what, that's what happens. You know, God brings this man, this strong rescuer who's equal to him, who's complementary to him. And... We read that when he sees her, he, he sings this song of praise, you know, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's just a, a, a Jewish idiomatic way of saying, she's just like me. And there's no record of, of, of being a boss. She's not his boss and he's not her boss. We see this complementary relationship in which neither of them is dominating. I mean, show me in Genesis, where does the man dominate the woman? Where does the woman dominate the man? It's not there. You know, God said in Genesis chapter 1, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man, man, that's mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we have this masculine and feminine joined together, revealing this 
more fuller picture of, of who God is. The fullness of his characteristics and his nature revealed in the, the strength and, and doing thing of the man and, and the, the gentleness of his nature revealed in this nurturing of the woman. And so we see his masculinity, we see his femininity displayed in a partnership. And at that time, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So this whole mandate of dominion, of ruling and subduing, was not given to the man, but it was given to the partnership of husband and wife. They were given joint dominion. Paul says that, isn't he? In, in the Lord, man is not, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. And he's saying, neither gender is above the other. Being masculine is not better than being feminine, and being feminine is not better than being masculine. They're different but complementary, and both are necessary to make it work. Neither of them is given a, a higher position than the other. And this whole idea of male dominance is actually a result of the fall. It's a manifestation of Adam's broken masculinity that came about through the fall. <coughs> and what it has happened is this is a satanic plot to subdue the feminine. I'm not talking just about women, but to do, subdue femininity. Because it's in femininity that the true strength of God is found. The power to rescue mankind is not found in, in masculine aggression, but in feminine gentleness and nurture and kindness. Look at the imagery we spoke about the other day when God speaks about being taking Israel to his bosom like a mother takes a baby to her breast. And I can't find any record in Scripture of Adam being Eve's boss or having authority over her prior to the fall. I can find no indication that he was created superior to her or that God regarded him as having a higher status than her. There's no indication that God views masculinity better than femininity. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament, all the references to the Holy Spirit, they're feminine. Ureach is a feminine word. And it's interesting, Paul Young in his book, The Shack, portrays the Holy Spirit as this Will of the wisp kind of woman who's here one minute and gone the next. So what we see is, is this sense of femininity within the power of God. <laughs> and as we look at his intentions for mankind, we see a partnership between masculine and feminine that is necessary for the world to work and operate as it should be, as it's intended to. And as we reveal the fullness of the image of God in that. You know, it's not just in women. You know, tell me some feminine traits. Okay, so I mentioned kindness and compassion. So what else would be feminine? Mothering. Mothering. Mothering, uh-huh. Welcoming. 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 Sensitivity, uh-huh. 
passion. Yep. Quite strong. So the strength and femininity. Yep. Okay, so can men be sensitive? Can men be compassionate? Men can be kind? Give me some masculine traits. You know, so I talked about aggression and strength. What, what else is there? Fury, okay. Yep. Testosterone. <laughs> What else is there? Pride. Pride. Okay. What else? Protector. Protector. Come on, guys. There's more men in here than women. <laughs> Any other masculine traits? Brave, uh huh. Strong, wise. Strong, boisterous. Boisterous, yep. Often okay. provider. Provider, yep. So, do you know any women who provide and who protect? Do you know any women who are brave? And so, these things aren't exclusive to men and women. Are they feminine characteristics and masculine characteristics? Put somebody else's teeth in this morning. Um, these these are things that are found in both men and women. So there's a, a kind of mixing. It's just that in some people, masculinity is stronger and we call them men. And in other people, femininity is stronger and we call them women. And so although masculinity can be the dominant trait in a man, he can have feminine characteristics of gentleness, kindness, tenderness. But what we do is we, we've communicated that Femininity is bad somehow. It's to be avoided. It's weakness. And, and so if you're a sensitive boy, you, then you must be a poof. You know? If you're tender, then you must be queer or something. And you, I'm going to just beat you up every day because it makes me feel more aggressive, more masculine to give you a kicking and take your dinner money from you. <laughs> take your lunch money away. You know, dads tell us, you know, Toughen up, son. Don't be such a big girl's blouse. Just go back out there and punch him back. And, you know, this broken masculinity, it, it focuses on, on doing, on solving, on fixing, on commanding. While the feminine, it, it majors in, in being and feeling and responding and listening. You know, men want to know, tell me the problem, I'll give you a solution. You know, I'd, I can be sitting at home if Fiona comes from her work and she's telling me all about what a, an idiot her boss is and how she, she'd love to smack him one. And, and I say, well, this is what you do. And she's just like, shut up. I know what I need to do. Just listen. <laughs> like, but I'm, he- I'm, I'm helping you. No, you're not helping me. <laughs> you're not helping at all. Okay. <laughs> I've learned over the years that when she starts, I just say, that's awful, darling. <laughs> <laughs> She's not interested. She knows the answer. She just wants to be heard. 
But, but the feminine is all about intimacy. You know, sex for for masculine can is seen in terms of conquest and notches in the bedpost and all that kind of thing. But for the feminine, they're looking for relationship and intimacy, tenderness, connectedness. Sex is not about connecting for men. It's about getting an orgasm and go back to the mates in the pub and going, ah, she's all right, her. <laughs> Whereas for a woman, it's about connecting. And what happens is in masculine culture, we make fun of intimacy and relationship. Because, let's be honest, the broken masculine is afraid of intimacy. So is some of the broken feminine. But more so with men. The broken masculine is afraid of intimacy because when you're intimate, nothing is hidden. Everything's exposed. And your weaknesses are known and everything else. You know? And there's a little verse in, the, in Genesis chapter 3 that I'd read lots and lots of times, but I, I just never paid it any attention. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 verse 20. And it reads, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. But I read it once and I said, Lord, what, what's the significance of this? Why is it there? And it began to take me a little journey through. You know, when the woman was, was created, she was called Isha. Man was called Ish and she was called Isha. And she's, Adam says, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, she's the same as me, we're equals. There was no command to subdue her. The command to subdue the earth was given to them as a partnership. He sings this song of celebration and praise and he's actually in awe and wonder at this amazing creature that God has given him as a, as a partner. But see, in Genesis 3.20, this is after he's fallen. This is after they've sinned. And it's almost like Satan's first strike. <laughs> you know, God has said, Femininity is going to oppose you. The, the seed of the feminine is what's going to bring, bring about your downfall. And so he thinks, well, I'll get my blow in first. And I don't know, did he whisper in Adam's ear? or? But Adam thinks it's a good idea to give his wife another name, to change her name, to take a position of superiority that wasn't his to take and wasn't given to him by God. We read back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. In naming them, Adam cemented his dominion over them. Now, even, even in, in a lot of cultures today, the belief is that if I know your true name, I can control you, I have power over you, And so, in naming the animals, it's almost like Adam sealed his authority over them. And so when it comes to the fall, as Satan whispers in his ear, he thinks he can do the same thing to his wife. The corruption of sin that already at work in his heart, already coming under the, the sway and the influence of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is working those who are now disobedient, already coming under that sway, 
beginning to disconnect from the love of the father that his wife knew, beginning to disconnect from his wife, he thought he could take authority and dominion over her. But he didn't do it legitimately. He thought he could do the same to her as he did with the animals. By giving her a new name. And he just suddenly became a manifestation of what God said death looked like. It looked like your husband taking dominion over you. It wasn't the marriage mandate. It was the result of sin. And when he did that, he sabotaged his wife's rightful place of equality and leadership at his side. He, he robbed her of her authority to, to rule and reign and subdue. And in today's society, we perpetuate that. Probably the biggest public spectacle of that has been, was the big furore over women priests in the Anglican Church or, or now women bishops. Women can't be that in that position. My goodness, they bleed every month. That makes them erratic and, and, and harebrained and, and unreliable. Those are the kind of stupid arguments that were being made. And I wonder if the reason the earth is in such turmoil is because men and women are no longer in that partnership of equality. The way it was originally intended to be. And I wonder if the groaning of creation awaiting the revealing of the sons of God is actually creation groaning awaiting the revealing and the restoration of that partnership of men who embrace true masculinity and women who embrace true femininity and not the brokenness that we currently walk in. Joining together as Father intended in the garden, cooperating as we were created to. And if and when that happens, what will the world see? Will creation stop groaning? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm convinced that Satan prompted this, this act of naming by, by Adam. He knows the threat that femininity poses to him, and so he carries the attack to her. And he does it through the one who's closest to her, her husband. You know, this whole thing we have about men being the boss, men being the ultimate authority, it's a result of the fall. It is not the marriage mandate, it is not God's kingdom mandate, it is a result of the fall. When we take that line in church, you know, in our families, in, in our businesses, when we say, you know, men are boss, women are not up to the task, we are perfectly demonstrating the fallenness of man. It's a perfect demonstration of the brokenness of humanity when we create that kind of divide and hierarchy. God is not into hierarchies. When God is describing to them what death looks like in Genesis 3, he is not saying, this is my plan. He's saying, this is the consequences of what you have done. Why does he have to go through that litany of thorns and thistles, domination, pain and childbirth? He's doing that because it was not like that before they sinned. And so he's saying, this is what's changed, guys. The earth is now going to produce thorns and thistles when you try to plant it for food. When you have children, it's now going to be painful. In your marriage, things have changed. You, you know... Isha, you're going to try and manipulate him and control him because, because he's going to try and dominate you and the only way you can get something out of it is by being a bit sneaky about it. And so this broken masculinity dominates, is aggressive, is controlling, 
And the broken femininity is manipulative and sneaky. You know, things, silly things. I'll give you silly examples. So, um, I don't know if any of you ladies here have done this. Probably not. But, you know, you buy a new dress, new pair of boots or something, put them in the wardrobe for a couple of weeks. And then you put them on and your husband says, Are they new? No, these have been in the wardrobe for ages. <laughs> I know women who do that. And men just lay down the law. The Bible says, submit to your husbands. And we're going to look at submission in the second half of this. So just do what I tell you. I'm the one who makes the decisions in this house. And you just have to go along with it. So there's this domination and, and aggressive control going on. And the Lord is saying, this is a change in your relationship. This is why I'm mentioning it now, because things are changing. And it occurs to me that if we are truly being redeemed from our empty way of life, as Paul calls it, then we should be redeemed from all the effects of the fall, including the brokenness of gender relationships. Especially, and including the, the disparagement of femininity. Femininity in particular, and womanhood in general. And the church continues to live under the effects of that fall. We perpetuate this lie, this myth, that men are better than women, or men are more suited to leadership and authority. You know, one of the best leaders I know is my wife. I've learned so much about leadership from her. Because she doesn't do it out of broken masculinity that wants to control and dominate and be the boss and that you just do as I tell you. I've learned so much about that that's not a good leadership style. <laughs> you see, leadership and authority that is only seen to emerge out of broken masculinity It'll be domineering, aggressive, confrontational. Who are you talking to? You know, that kind of like... <laughs> you know, we, we talk about being history makers and world changers and all of that, but we talk about it in terms of masculine strength. You know, David Pawson years ago wrote a book called Leadership is Male. And he went through this book, giving all the reasons why leadership and authority is masculine and belongs to men and not to women. I, I, I know people who go to churches where the wife can teach a class of unsaved people, even if there's men amongst it, but if those men get saved, she has to stop teaching them. Because they're men, they're believers, and now they have authority over her. And she can't teach them anything. It's crazy. But in the beginning, they were both told to rule and subdue. And for centuries, we have lived under this lie that, that women are less than men. That somehow fem being feminine is inferior to being masculine. You know, Martin Luther spoke about women as a monstrosity. Irenaeus said, you know, that women are less than men because they have a period every month. You know, in some countries, women can't vote. Rape is, well, it's not that bad a crime. You know, when, when the girl was killed in India on the bus, I read an interview with the bus driver when I was in India. And he said, you know, we wouldn't have killed her if she hadn't struggled. As if that, as if that made rape okay. You know, all we'll do is have sex if she doesn't struggle, but if she struggles, we'll kill her. Now, she was with a male companion, but they still thought, they still made the excuse that 
any woman of decency shouldn't be out at that time of night. The guy is not sorry for what he did. He's just sorry he got caught. In Honduras, 51 women are murdered every month. Most of the, the culprits are known, but 98% of them go unpunished. <coughs> that's not counting serious assaults, that's only murders. You know, there's one instance I read about where a, a husband chopped off a woman, both of a woman's hands. And she wasn't allowed to bar him from the house. He still had the right to visit that house and go in and out as he pleased. You know, in the, in the workplace, women become more masculine in order to compete. They feel the pressure to have to be one of the boys. You know, Maggie Thatcher had did more masculinity than any of the guys in her, her cabinet. <laughs> Whatever you think of her in her politics, she had more balls than any of the guys that she led. <laughs> and that's quite sad that she had to be that way, to survive in that world. That she couldn't just be a woman and still be seen as capable and competent and, e- and equal. You know, pornography is, is every day. You know, kids can go in and open, well, not now, but they used to be able to go and open the sun and, and look at a woman's breasts. They're on page three. And so what we've done is we've demeaned the idea of, of femininity and women's place in society. In fact, they've even now created porn for women. When Andy, Andy Murray, um, before he took Ivan Lendl back as his coach, he employed Amelia Moresmo, French tennis player. She was a Grand Slam winner. She'd won a few Grand Slams, really achieved a lot in tennis. But the attacks that he came under because he had a woman coaching in men's tennis was incredible. And yet we don't hear any problems when men are coaching women's football. No one complains about that or, or, or makes an outcry about that. But there's a huge outcry at Andy Murray having a woman coaching one of the top men in the world at tennis. You see, this is not just an attack on women. Satan is intent on destroying the image of God in mankind. And the way he's doing it is by attacking femininity, by trying to erase femininity from our society, from our makeup. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. Because he knows that if he can erase femininity, if he can disable femininity and erode our dependence and understanding of it, then mankind's ability to withstand his onslaught against us is weakened. When Father cursed him in the garden, he immediately devised a strategy. He thought, if femininity is going to be my downfall, then I will destroy femininity first. And in doing so, I will destroy the image of God in mankind. I think that's what enraged him most. You know, he was kicked out of heaven, out of that place of the Father's love, living in his presence. And here he comes, he's in the garden in his fallen state and he sees God demonstrated in these two people. And it, it makes him furious. And so he wants to destroy this image of God because it reminds him of what he's lost. It reminds him of what he gave up in his foolishness. And so he wants to destroy this image and he attacks femininity so you can't be gentle if you're a bloke and if you're a woman in business you need to toughen up don't be so emotional just suck it up and get on with it 
You know, so what if the boss slaps your backside? So what if he makes comments about your big boobs? Just get on with it, stop complaining. That's the attitude still today. You know, regardless of what people say, there's still a glass ceiling for women in many businesses. And so this new perspective that his love is bringing, it's not just a good idea, it's not just a great doctrine that we somehow have to incorporate into our, our, our church statements of faith. The, living in a place of love has tremendous implications for how we live our lives together as a community, how we live in this world, not just in, in church world, but in the world in general. And I don't believe we can live in this, I don't believe we can come into that place without experiencing what it is to be loved. Love brings a new perspective. You know, if you've been in love with a, a guy or a, or a girl, you know what that does to you. You know, initially, you might go down the pub less. So now I'm seeing my girlfriend. <laughs> you know, you've suddenly got a new perspective. It's like, do you know what? I actually like being with her better than I do with those guys in the bar. In the bar. <laughs> You know, love changes your heart. It doesn't change your doctrine or your theology. It changes your heart and it changes how you see things. And we disparage femininity with the things we perceive as feminine, like compassion and tenderness. And, you know, we make fun of women who cry at the movies. I was saying to, to Rebecca the other day, I even cry at the adverts now. <laughs> you go, oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> you know what? And from a little boy at 11 who said, I will never let anyone see me cry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll sit and cry in the movies now with my wife. I don't care. I'll watch a chick flick and weep. Because <laughs> I'm living out of my heart now. And that's what my heart feels. I'm embracing something of the femininity that is a part of my makeup. The emotion is part of that. God gave me them to be expressed. And it only harms and damages me if I suppress them and keep them in check. That only causes me damage. Because I'm not really being me. I'm being someone else's image of of a man. And this whole picture of in the Bible is is one of equality where men and women are equal in status, they're equal in partnership. It's a picture of mutual respect and love and honouring. It's a cooperation where the differences are complementary, where they're not divisive. It's We are deliberately designed with differences that we might dovetail together and come together in a way that allows mankind to function and operate without women being lessened or, or men being lessened or, or cheapened or dominated. It's an incredible... I mean, this is not how I grew up... This is not what I grew up believing. You know, I grew up in a rough environment where women were for cooking and sex. You know, and all the sexist jokes. You know, why women get small feet? Well, so they can stand closer to the sink. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that as a joke to get you laughing. I'm saying, look, that's the kind of mentality I had. That was my mentality. But actually, I, I hate those that stuff now. I hate it. Because it's actually a distortion of the image of God in mankind. It's not the reality that, that Jesus died for us to walk into and to live in. 
He died for something far greater than just getting out, getting out of hell. He died for something far greater than just escaping the fires of hell and going to heaven. Don't worry, Stevie. Don't worry, mate. Don't worry. He died for much more than that. He died to restore the image of God in mankind and draw us back into that place of intimacy with him. That's what he died for. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.